Good morning, New Life. If you're new here, my name's Chris, one of your pastors here. As uh, Jonathan said earlier in the service, uh, sometimes you're, you're kind of new uh, to a place like New Life. I know many of you um, are fairly new. Perhaps today is, in fact, your, your first day here, or perhaps you've been here uh, with us for just a few weeks or a few months. And I know uh, whenever I'm in a new place like this, the, the kind of the question that naturally comes to your mind is, man, what's the, what's the next step? You know, I feel like maybe this is the place that the Lord wants me to plant roots. Perhaps this is a place that uh, God wants to be my kind of my gospel community, my spiritual family. And so if you're in that camp, you've been here for a little while, maybe today's your first day. I want you to know that your next step, kind of your first step really here, um, is our Journey 101 luncheon. And we have that the first Sunday of every month right after this service, the second service. Right upstairs, we cater in a lunch for you. We have free childcare if you uh, let us know that you're coming. And so I would just encourage you, if you want to know a little bit more about who we are and where we feel like the Lord is taking us um, as a church body, as a gospel family, I would encourage you to come and check out the Journey 101 luncheon uh, next Sunday. Have a good time. Only about an hour long. We just kind of cast a little bit of vision give you a chance to ask some questions. So hope that you'll sign up for that. You can do that either on the New Life app, you can do that on our website, or maybe the easiest thing would just be to go to the Next Steps booth um, after the service and sign up for it there. So anyway, that's that. Um, If you're new here, we've been in the book of Galatians uh, this entire summer, almost three months now, and uh, hasn't it been a great little study? I mean, it's just been uh, amazing, uh, the truths that have come out of this little a letter. I hope it's been as impactful for you as it's been uh, for me. And God willing, today we're going to wrap up uh, this series with a potent little section that the Apostle Paul uh, writes to finish off, to end uh, his letter to these uh, new Christians in Galatia. And so if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, go ahead and open it up or open your Bible app up on your phone or whatever you have and go ahead and start working your way to Galatians. We're going to be in the back half of Galatians chapter 6 this morning. And today, Paul is going to summarize the entire letter for us. And so, uh, even if this is your first Sunday, it's a good Sunday for you to be here. You're not going to feel like you missed out on too much, I don't think. And uh, so, Paul's going to summarize it, and he's also going to challenge uh, these Galatian Christians, these brand new baby Christians And by extension, uh, by the way, he's challenging all of us to stay true to uh, the simple gospel, to stay true to the Jesus plus nothing gospel. Don't don't waver from it. And so he's going to challenge us not to to drift into legalism as these Galatians were doing. And he's going to challenge us not to, as he has the entire letter, not to drift into license This idea that since God is good and God is gracious and he loves and he forgives, that uh, we can just uh, live any way that we want, doesn't really matter. And uh, Paul has argued that, no, both of those things are gospel distortions. Both of those ideas and philosophies are toxic. They're they're, they're false. They're they're, they're a false gospel that in the end cannot, will not uh, save us. And so with that stage set, let's dive in, Galatians 6 Starting in verse 11, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Now, Paul had been dictating this letter to a scribe, which was, of course, common 
in that day. But now he's writing this uh, last section himself. And so he says, look, see how large I'm writing these letters myself. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, listen up. This, this is important. What I'm about to say to you is so important that I'm actually, I'm stealing the writing utensil from my scribe. And, I, and I'm going to write this last section in huge letters myself. And so I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. Uh, to use a modern day example, it would be like, um, you know, if you text somebody in, in big letters in all caps, uh, what are you communicating when you do that? You're basically, you're yelling to someone, right? Hey, this is, this is important. Listen up. Don't ignore this. So like for our, our teenagers in the room, right, if, if your mom texts you and just kind of uses like a normal font and says, hey, honey, listen, you need to come home uh, sometime pretty soon, you may or may not uh, linger and hang out, talk to your friends for another five or ten minutes. But if your mom texts you in all caps and she says, get your tail home right now. Right? If you're smart, you're not going to be hanging out with your friends for another five or ten minutes. You're going to be getting in the car and you're going to be going home. Likewise, if my, my wife texts me in the middle of a, of a meeting, right, and she just says, hey, uh, babe, call me whenever you get a chance, uh, not an emergency. I'm going to finish the meeting and then I'm going to call her. But in the middle of that meeting, if she sends me a text in all caps and says, I need you to call me right now, right? I'm, I'm going to stop that meeting. I'm going to walk outside, and I'm going to call her because she's communicating a level of urgency that I cannot put off and I cannot ignore. And that is exactly, precisely what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He's saying, listen, pay attention. Listen up. This is important what I'm about to say. Verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. Paul is speaking of the false teachers here, the Judaizers, who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised, these false teachers, do not themselves keep the law, the Old Testament law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. Now remember, these Judaizers... Uh, kind of their modus operandi is they would come in to these new churches that Paul or one of the other disciples, apostles, had planted with these brand new baby Christians. And so these people were typically vulnerable, right? They were just, just starting to try to figure out, man, what does it look like in my life, practically speaking, to, to walk with Jesus? I mean, what does it look like to walk with Jesus in my marriage? What does it look like to walk with Jesus in my parenting, to walk with Jesus in every area of my life, the way I do business. So they're just, they're kind of a vulnerable state, brand new baby Christians. And so these false teachers, these Jews would come in and they would teach them that, hey, listen, in order to follow Jesus, in order to love Jesus, you first have to become a Jew, which of course meant for the men, they had to be circumcised and they all had to follow all these religious uh, rituals. And to that, Paul says, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. None of that stuff matters, right? It's, it's Jesus plus nothing. That's where you're going to find your hope. That's where you're going to find your satisfaction. That's where you're going to find your ultimate joy and happiness. And so then Paul goes on to point out two problems with what these false teachers, these Judaizers were doing. Firstly, he says that they were pushing religion instead of the cross because they didn't want to be persecuted. Paul is basically calling them wimps. He's saying these guys are wimps. They're sellouts. And like we've said before in this series, uh, the cross is offensive. 
Right? You, you don't get beat up for preaching or teaching religion because religion ultimately is all about you. Religion says you can do these things in order that you can earn your own salvation. And the cross stands in opposition to that and says, no, 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 no. You need to understand that you are so busted up. You're so messed up and broken to your core that nothing you could ever do can help you save yourself. You can't, God can, right? And Paul got beaten to a bloody pulp many times for preaching this very message. You are messed up. You cannot save yourself, but Jesus can save you. But these Judaizers were cowards, and so they preached religion, and they would sprinkle in perhaps just a little bit of Jesus um, so they wouldn't offend anybody. And uh, they were hypocrites because even uh, they, Paul said, didn't follow all the Old Testament laws. They, they couldn't. Remember, we've talked about the purpose of the Old Testament law, all those 613 commandments in the Old Testament. The entire purpose of those laws was to show us that we cannot save ourselves. It's to show us that we actually do need someone to save us. We need a Savior. And so Paul says these false teachers, man, not only are they cowards, they are hypocritical cowards, which, of course, is the worst kind of coward, right? Second problem with these false teachers Paul says is that they were peddling religion so they could boast, right? So not only were they trying to avoid persecution, they were also trying to boast in their religion. They wanted pats on the back. They wanted praise. They wanted accolades. Uh, These are the people that would have wanted a plaque with their name engraved on it, prominently displayed somewhere in their office, right? So when people walked in, other people would just kind of be in awe of what this person had accomplished, And the reality is they wanted to go back to Jerusalem. They wanted to go back to the Jewish authorities. And they wanted to say, hey, look at us. We got 200 Galatian Christians to be circumcised and and to become Jews. So these guys were living for their own glory. They were cowards. They were self-serving, kind of just glory hogs. Which, by the way, isn't a whole lot different than a lot of false teachers in our day. Right? False teachers in our day, uh, kind of the same thing. They won't preach the hard truths of the gospel. They won't preach the gory truth of the cross because they don't want to offend anybody. They don't want to be persecuted. So they'll teach false gospels and half gospels that are popular so that people will give them pats on the back. They'll make everybody feel good about themselves. But man, they will, they will shy away from the cross. They will avoid teaching and preaching about sin. They will avoid teaching and preaching about the blood of Jesus, right? Because it's gruesome And it might make some people uncomfortable. And so as Paul warned these Galatian Christians, allow me, if you would, as one of your pastors to warn you, stay away from such teachers. Stay away from these guys. These guys that care more about having their own name lifted high than the name of Jesus being lifted high. These guys who care more about the expansion of their little kingdoms than the advancement of the kingdom of King Jesus. And there are a lot of self-serving, approval-seeking sellouts in the world out there. And Paul says, stay away. Stay away. Run from these charlatans, man. As we talked about last week, they will reap what they sow. They will reap what they sow, and you don't want to be around when they begin to reap the fruits of their self-indulgence and watered-down half-truths. 
Friend, if, if, if our salvation has been fully accomplished by Jesus, like not 99% and you do 1% to earn it, if Jesus has fully accomplished our salvation 100% and understand he has, then when we gather like we are right now as a faith family, everything we do should be about him and not about us. Amen. The songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray, my teaching, the teaching of others, should all work together to point our affection collectively to the Savior, to Jesus. And it's really not about us at all. It's about, it's about him. It's about the Savior. He is the hero of this story. And, and, and the beauty of it is that he, he loves us so much that he's invited us to become participants, to become players in his story. But understand this, we all either glory in ourselves or we glory in Jesus. We all have a sense of pride, a sense of identity in something, right? Whether, I don't know, maybe for you it's your income level. Perhaps you've been very successful and that's where you've kind of got your identity. You've got your pride. That's where your boasting comes from, at least in your heart, is what you've accomplished financially. For, the, for others of you, maybe it's tied up in your, in your good looks. I mean, I know for me that's a real struggle. Just my, it's, a, it's kind of my cross to bear, these ruggedly handsome good looks that the Lord gave me. I'm kidding. Uh, but for some of you, you really are good looking. And so maybe that's where you kind of have your identity tied up in that. Or perhaps your achievements, the things that you've accomplished. Maybe, man, you've got, you know, 50 diplomas on your wall, or you've had a lot of success in the business world, or whatever it is, or... Uh, this is one of my favorites. Um, maybe you've got your identity tied up in how successful your children are, how good they are in school, how smart they are in school, or perhaps uh, this is my favorite, especially for dads. You could run across these dads and their identity is so tied up in how good their kids are in sports. You ever know a guy like that, you know, just kind of living vicariously through their eight-year-old playing t-ball or something? It, it always cracks me up, you know, we, we got kids in sports now and be out there and yeah my my boy hit two homers last week you know and then the other guy was yeah that's that's pretty good my boy hit four homers last week but just keep practicing your boy will get there you know he'll he'll be he'll be all right one of these days right but for you it's something I don't know what it is for you but you've got your identity rooted in in something in your heart you're boasting in something and so if I were to just ask you that question don't blurt it out but just in your mind what is it that you boast about? If not out loud, then perhaps only in your heart. What is your identity currently tied up in? Is it pats on the back? Is it people affirming you? Is it in success? Is it in a certain relationship? Or like Paul, is it in what Jesus has accomplished on your behalf on the cross? Verse 14, this is going to be Paul's response. Paul says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, this was the theme of Paul's life from the moment that he met Jesus on that road to Damascus. And you need to understand how strange it would have been for Paul to say what he just said in verse 14 in a first century Jewish context, right? We, we think nothing of Paul saying, listen, my identity is rooted in the cross of Christ. 
That means nothing to us in our culture because we wear crosses on our jewelry, right? Necklaces, earrings, whatever. The reality is people who are not even Christians in our culture will get crosses, you know, tattooed on their body. It's just a part of our culture. It's just become ingrained as part of our culture. Nobody gives it a second thought. But in the first century, in Paul's day, a cross, the cross was a symbol not just of torture and death, but of total and complete humiliation. Like Roman citizens weren't even allowed to be executed on a cross because it was so dehumanizing. So just imagine if one of your friends or, you know, you came across, uh, you know, I don't know, somebody in your neighborhood, somebody in your workplace, they're walking around with a necklace on with like an electric chair hanging off of it. What would you think about that? You know, if they had like a, like a tattoo on their, on their arm of a lethal injection chamber, you know, just a big needle, some guy strapped to a gurney or something. What would you be thinking? Thinking that this person has lost their mind. What a freak. What is wrong with this person? And Paul goes, listen, I boast in nothing but that cross. I boast in nothing but that cross. I have, I have nothing of value outside of the cross of Jesus Christ. He, he is everything to me. And Paul is saying, as, as followers of Jesus, our whole life should be about lifting him up. And that's really, that's kind of our first truth that Paul gives us. It's this, li- listen, live a cross-centered life. Believer, li- li- live your life in such a way that, that your relationships... That your, that your job, that the way you invest your, your finances, the way you invest your time, everything, all of your life is shaped by Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom. See, and Paul would say, listen, boast in Jesus. Boast in Jesus alone. Center your, your life, center everything in your life around him. And I think it's important that you know this. At, at New Life, our win... Our, like on a Sunday morning like this, our win isn't when people walk out of here with the name of a man on their lips. Right? If somebody walks out of here and they're thinking, they're saying to their spouse or whatever, oh man, Chris really, man, he nailed it today. And usually that's just my mom and my wife. I realize that. But hypothetically speaking, if somebody said that, that's not the win for me. Or if somebody walks out of here thinking or saying, dang, Mike and the band Killed it today. I mean, that was just amazing, man. I had goosebumps all over my body. That was amazing. That's not the win for us. Right? If your teenagers come to, to youth group and they leave and everybody's just like, man, Craig and Ray, they, they do such a great job with the youth. And that's not the win here. Like in some ways, that's, that's actually a, a failure. See, the, the win here is when you leave our, our worship gatherings like this, when you leave events, when you leave your community group with the name of Jesus on your lips. When you're saying, man, isn't Jesus awesome? Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he worthy just to like give our whole lives away to him? Like that's, that's the win for us. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. So you need to understand anything that you see uh, good here at New Life is just, it really is an overflow of what Jesus is doing in and through his people here. It's all about him. And the reality is the day that it ceases to be about Jesus here is the day that we need to shut our doors and we need to do something else. The day that it stops being about Jesus is the day that our church needs to close our doors and we need to die. 
And that's how it ought to be in the life, Paul would say, of each and every follower of Jesus. We boast in Christ. We boast in Christ. We center our our lives around him. We, We have nothing else of any real value. As for me, Paul says, I boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus. Jesus is everything. Without him, I'm, I'm nothing. Friend, he's, he's all we need. Jesus is what we need in our relationships. He's what we need in our, in our marriages. At least I know I need him in my marriage, in our, in our parenting, in the way that we go about our businesses, in our jobs, in every area of our lives. He is everything to us. So you can strip me of everything, Paul says. And if I have Jesus, I have everything. Conversely, you can give me everything that this world has to offer. And by the way, he had that as a Pharisee before he met Jesus. He had fame, he had popularity, he had wealth, would have had material possessions, all that stuff. Paul would say, man, you can give me all that stuff. But if I don't have Jesus, really I have nothing. So I just wonder, like, how many of us as Christians in America in 2018 really believe that? And how many of us could, could honestly say that along with the Apostle Paul? Or do you really believe deep down in your heart that you need Jesus plus something else to be happy? Do you believe that you need Jesus plus the perfect spouse, who, by the way, doesn't exist? Do you believe that you need Jesus plus the perfect boyfriend or girlfriend to be happy. Maybe for you, man, it's Jesus plus just a little bit more money than I'm making now. It's always just a little bit more, right? Or Jesus plus good health. I've got to have Jesus plus good health to be happy. And Paul looks at all of that and he says, no. No, it's Jesus plus nothing. It's everything to us. At the end of verse 14, Paul says that, listen, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, the world has been crucified to me, and I've been crucified to the world. In other words, Paul says it's dead to me. Remember earlier he said, I count it all as rubbish. I count it all. Everything that I had, all the money, all the accolades, all the diplomas on my wall, the fact that people knew who I was when I walked down the streets in Jerusalem, all of that I counted as rubbish. I count it as animal dung in comparison to knowing Jesus. I'm no longer a slave, Paul would say, to this world system and to the values of this world. So here's the second big idea Paul gives us. Really, this is the big idea of the entire book. So if you miss everything else, don't miss this. It's this truth. In Jesus, you are liberated. Understand this, if you're here this morning and you're a Christ follower, you've already been liberated. For some of us, we just need to start living in the freedom that's already been purchased for us. And if you're here and you're, you're not a, a follower of Jesus yet, yeah, I just want you to understand, I want you to know that Jesus stands ready to liberate you today, this morning. See, for all of us, we, we find our ultimate freedom and satisfaction in Him and in Him alone. He has freed us from the the grip of this world system of pursuing things that are ultimately meaningless and will lead us to to hopelessness in the end. 
See, look, the, this world's value system, this world's idea, our philosophy of attaining happiness is, is a mirage. Like, like, go read King Solomon's account in the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't know how many of you ever, have ever read the book of Ecclesiastes. We're eventually going to do a book study in Ecclesiastes. It's amazing. It's sobering, it's slightly depressing, but it's good for us um, to, to kind of process through everything that Solomon tried. And so Paul is saying here what Solomon said so many uh, hundreds of years earlier. Listen, everything in our world, everything in our culture that, that, that they kind of hold up as a treasure worthy of giving our lives away to is an illusion, it's an illusion. So what, what happens is we end up chasing things that cannot satisfy us, that will not satisfy us, that will never satisfy us. And we wake up one day and we've wasted our entire lives. And we end up kind of like the delirious man who's lost in the desert, right? Who in his state of delirium and dehydration begins to hallucinate. And see, he sees springs and rivers of fresh water all around him. And he runs and he begins to drink from them and he ends up with a mouthful of hot, dry sand, right? That just expedites his suffering and his death instead of giving him life. And Paul says, listen, Jesus frees us from the mirage of this world. Remember what he said back in uh, chapter two, probably about a month and a half ago. He said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, listen, the old me is dead. The old me is dead and gone. That Paul, that Saul, he's buried. That guy died on the cross with Jesus. The new me, because of Jesus, is alive. And in that new life, I am liberated. I'm liberated from pursuing stuff that will promise me happiness and only deliver slavery and misery. Mouthfuls of hot, dry sand. Paul said, I'm tired of it. I've chased those pathways. I've tried those things, and I'm done with that. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that mean that once we place our faith in Jesus and we begin that spiritual journey with him, does that mean that we never struggle again? In our lives, with a draw to sin, or the attraction to kind of this world's value system that we live in? Of course not. Of course not. But what it does mean is that we are no longer slaves to it. We're no longer slaves to it. It, it doesn't own us anymore. We belong to Jesus now, not to the world's value system. So we can say with the Apostle Paul, Christ is everything to us. And in him, we are liberated. Jesus is now our highest treasure. And Paul builds on this in verse 15. He says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. So neither religion or irreligion counts for anything, but a new creation. Paul says what counts is becoming a new creation in Jesus. Not religion, not religious rituals, not church attendance, not being a good person. Paul says none of that counts for anything in God's economy. 
I heard it illustrated this way uh, one time. I think it's good. Somebody said, religion is like putting lipstick on a pig. That's all religion is, man. You're just trying to cover up the nastiness. The pig underneath the lipstick is still a nasty, dirty pig. But Jesus, unlike religion, transforms the human heart. He changes who we are at our core. And this is how the Apostle Paul describes that that process in a letter he wrote to the Corinthians. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. See, Christianity is not about being a good person. Like you hear that misnomer in our culture all the time. Ah, Christians, man, they're the, the holy rollers. They're the more, listen, Christianity is not about being a good person. Christianity is not even about being a religious person or trying harder to be better. Christianity is about a relationship that changes or transforms a person to their core. Right? That's why our, uh, we got some new baptism t-shirts, right, that we give to people when they're about to be baptized. That's why those t-shirts say, raised to life. Right? In Jesus, the old you is dead. The new you is alive in Jesus. Not perfect. You're not perfect in Jesus, but you're new. You're new, right? You're alive, really, for the first time in your life. You're really liberated and free. You have access to, to peace and joy and all of those things that you never had access to before you met Jesus. And that leads us right into our third truth this morning, that is, The Christian life isn't about religion. The Christian life is about a transformation. It's about a transformation that happens in the context of a relationship with the creator of this universe. And in the context of that new relationship, as we are transformed into this new creation, we get a new life, we get new purpose, We get new values. We get a new mission in life. Listen, religion cannot do that for you. But Jesus can do that for you. Verse 16, Paul says, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy will be upon them and upon the Israel of God. This rule that Paul is talking about here is the gospel. The gospel is now our rule, right? Not not the 613 oppressive, weighty commandments in the Old Testament, the gospel is now our rule. And as we, we learn how to, how to live in this newfound freedom of the gospel, as, as truly free, as truly liberated sons and daughters of the God of this universe, peace and mercy will be ours. And I don't know about you, could you use some mercy in your life? about some peace? Do you use some peace in your life? Man, I know I need both in abundance every single day of my life. And Paul says you get them both, you get it all in Jesus. That's where you're gonna find it. That's the only place that you're ultimately gonna find it. And Paul says, listen, it's those who walk in this mercy and this peace of Jesus that are the children, that are the Israel of God. In Jesus, Paul says, man, there's no longer one nation that belongs to God, but it's, but it's now every person, every person who pledges their life and their allegiance to Jesus, 
And this is important. Listen to this, which means it doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how, how messy your, your past looks. It doesn't matter how unlovable you might feel this morning. God offers you love, forgiveness, and freedom in Jesus. Now maybe you're thinking, Chris, you're saying that because you don't know me. <laughs> you're saying that because you don't know what I've done. You're saying that because you don't know my past. Because I've done too much. I've gone too far. I've rebelled too much. I just want you to know, if that's what you're thinking right now, that you're wrong. You haven't done too much. If that's the way that you're thinking right now, I just want to challenge you. Your, your view of God's mercy and his grace and his love is too weak and too shallow. Because understand this, God, God's grace is deeper than your darkest secrets, man. Like that, that one thing or that one period of your life that you just can't even bear to think about. And you're just terrified that one day somebody might find out that you did that or were involved in that. His grace is deeper than even that. <laughs> the vastness of his, his mercy, you need to understand it's, it's wider than however messy your past may be. Jesus can redeem and transform even all of that junk. But Paul is saying, verse 17, from now on, and I love Paul, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul goes, look, man, stop. Stop troubling me. All these, stop. Why are you listening to all these false teachers, man? I'm busy over here. I got to keep stopping and writing you guys. Let, leave me alone. Stop doing this stuff. You're listening to these guys who just want to brag about circumcision. Paul goes, look, my whole body bears the marks of Jesus. And Paul gives us a description in the book of 2 Corinthians of how he got those marks on his body. Don't turn there. We don't have time, but I want you to listen to this. Listen to Paul's description of what he went through after he began to follow Jesus, and after he began to preach the good news of Jesus to different people. Paul says uh, in 2 Corinthians, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes Less one. By the way, this was uh, a beating that oftentimes killed men, grown men. Paul said, not once, five times. I went through that. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was, I was stoned. He's talking about rocks, not the way that people in Asheville get stoned. Like they were trying to execute him with rocks and stones. And they thought he was dead. Actually, they drug him outside, threw him outside the, the city gates. Otherwise, they would have... Uh, kept throwing rocks at him. He says, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Paul says, you want to see my devotion to Jesus? Look at my back. Look at the scars on my, on my face and my head where people pelted me with stones and tried to kill me. I've counted the cost. I've given my life to the God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
we have uh, two elders who just a few months ago uh, went to a very unreached part of, of India to teach and train some uh, young leaders over there, about 40 uh, young men who are leading a movement over there. And by the way, if you think that God can't use you, uh, this whole movement was kicked off by one little old uh, single retired lady, okay, this American lady. She goes over to India, and she shares the gospel uh, with this one young man. And this one young man believes in Jesus. He's baptized, and he begins to go and share with all of his friends. And so now he's got a team of of 40 guys, and over the last few years, they now have 40,000 people meeting in small groups in homes, studying the Bible. 10,000 of them have given their lives to Christ, right? Hindus, Muslims. So two of our elders went over to, uh, to lead a training to help equip these 40 guys who are out there uh, laying it all on the line every day for the sake of the gospel. And so they're in this room with these 40 guys, and they're doing some training. And our elders ask them, hey, how many of you guys have physically suffered for preaching Jesus? And slowly, every single hand in that room went up. And they slowly began to stand up, and they began to lift their shirts up and show massive scars and fresh wounds and showing kind of where they'd had uh, their arms broken. In fact, one of the guys uh, missed a night when they were there. They found out later uh, he was jumped by like a Hindu gang. They put him in the hospital. He wasn't there at the training that night because he was in the hospital. He got released, and he went and he led 11 people to Christ that night. What's your excuse? Right? I mean, these guys are putting it all on the line for the sake of Jesus. So this is our last point. And listen, I don't want you to miss this because I feel like we've kind of missed this as American Christians in 2018. Most of us who live a very comfortable, very posh lifestyle, and we think it's like suffering when we don't get to live in the house that we want to live in. Or we don't get to drive a newer car than we currently drive or some kind of goofy thing like that. So here's the last truth, and I want you to really dial into it. Following Jesus will cost you. But I want you to understand that he is worth it all. He's worth all of it. Listen, following Jesus has always come with a price tag. If not in your body, then in your soul, in your your heart. And I want you to understand, he is worth it a million times over. If Paul were here and he were standing on the stage right now, and if you were to ask him, hey, Paul, was it worth it? Man, would you do it all over again? The beatings, the years in prison, the pain, the hunger, the suffering, would you do it again, Paul? Paul, without question, he would answer, look, man, if you give me 10 million lifetimes, I would do it again 10 million times. Say, why, Paul? Why would you put yourself through that kind of torture? And he would say to you what he said in all of his letters in the New Testament. He would say, because Jesus is my highest treasure. Nothing compares to Jesus. Not the fame I had as a Pharisee, not the money I had as a leader, not all the diplomas on my wall. Nothing has compared to knowing Jesus. I would do it again 10 million times. Now, church, can I be bold with you just for a a minute this morning? I want to say something to you. Before I say it, I just want to say this is coming from a place of love. This is not coming from a place of condemnation. And so please hear my 
heart on this. Listen, it's, it's time, it's past time for some of us to stop playing games. It's time for some of us to stop playing games, man. Playing religious games. All right, playing, playing churchy games. It's time for some of us to stop pretending like we're somebody that we're really not. It's past time for us to start taking the, those steps in our spiritual journey with Jesus. See, listen, when you follow Jesus, man, we get all that good stuff that we like to talk about in church. We get all, and all those things are true. We get forgiveness, we get love, we get freedom, we get peace, we get joy, we get satisfaction, we get ultimate purpose. We get all of those things in Christ and so much more. But understand this, we also get an enemy who Jesus said came to still kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it to you in the full. So understand that when you're really following Jesus, not just playing games, some of you haven't suffered because you're playing games. When you're really following Jesus, you will pick up shrapnel wounds. You will have scars. If not physically on your body, then in your heart and in your soul. People will reject you. People won't get you. They won't get your value system. People will hurt you. You will pick up scars. But understand this, you are not alone. Jesus is with you and he is worth it all. Apostle Paul closes with verse 18. And he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul finishes the letter with the grace of Jesus. Super appropriate, right? The whole thing has been about the grace of Christ. After all, that's our only hope in life, isn't it? The grace of Jesus. He's all that we need. It's also amazing to me that Paul clearly, as he wraps up the letter, he hasn't given up on the Galatians. Now, that would have been really easy to do, I think. I mean, these people, these young believers that Paul had discipled personally, He had planted these churches. He had left leaders to help shepherd them. And here they are following false teachers. Here they are leaning into legalism instead of the grace that they have in Jesus. It would have been really easy for Paul just to kind of write off the Galatians and say, hey, look, (laughs) I'm I'm done with you guys, man. I'm going to focus on the Roman church. I'm going to focus on the church in Ephesus, the church in Colossae. I'm I am sick and tired. I'm done with you guys. Paul didn't give up on the Galatians. And I want you to know this morning, God hasn't given up on you. Somebody here needs to hear that this morning. God hasn't given up on you. If your heart is still beating in your chest, God is still pursuing you. Came across a quote this week. Uh, by, by Beth Moore, who's a speaker and an, and an author, a Christian author. And uh, we'll close with this as the, as the band comes. And I think this is a great, this quote is a great summary of the book of Galatians. Beth Moore said, there is nothing you need that Jesus is not. Just let that percolate for a second. 
There's nothing that you think you need in this life. There's nothing that you think will make you happy that you don't currently have that cannot be found in Jesus. So that what Paul was saying to the Galatians. Find your hope in Jesus. Find your joy in Jesus. Find your everything in Jesus. Everything that your heart longs for is found in relationship with him. There's nothing you need, there's nothing you think you need that cannot be found in relationship with him. Church, will you bow your heads with me just for a minute? We're gonna chat, we'll pray, we'll sing, we'll get you out of here. Here's the question that I have. If you're, listen, if you're a Christian in the room this morning, I just wanna ask you, point blank, what mirage are you chasing right now? What illusion that our world system, our, our culture kind of has held up, that you've kind of bought into the lie that that thing is going to make me happy. Even if you're thinking it's that thing plus Jesus, Paul would say you're still wrong. What illusion are you chasing? What mirage in the desert are you chasing? Listen, we, even as Christians, we drift so easily, don't we? We think we need Jesus Plus, fill in the blank. Man, whatever it is for you, I need Jesus plus a relationship to make me happy. I need Jesus plus money to make me happy. I need Jesus plus perfect health to make me happy. I need all this stuff to make me happy. That's what we think, but that's not true. And Paul has argued this entire letter just ferociously that all we need in life is him. Christian, turn your heart, turn your affection to Jesus. Find your hope. Find your satisfaction in him. Perhaps you're here this morning, man, and you're, you're just chasing happiness apart from Jesus altogether. Because the reality is you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're religious. Maybe you've been in church a long time, but you don't know Jesus. You don't have a relationship with him. You've never actually been transformed by him. And I want you to know if that's you this morning, the thing that you need more than anything else in your life today is to begin a relationship with the God of this universe. You don't need a religion. You don't need a set of rules. You need a relationship with the God who created you, with the God who loved you, with the God who gave himself away for you. Listen, if that's where you're at this morning, let's, let's chat. Before you leave, in just a minute, we're going to have several people up here in the front, and that's why we're here. We're here to talk with you. We're here to encourage you. We're here to pray for you. If you don't have time to do that today or you don't have the courage to do that, listen, just mark it on your Connect card. It's right inside your bulletin. Fold it in half and drop it off at the Connect booth, the Next Steps booth. You don't even have to talk to anybody. Just throw it at them, and I'll contact you this week. We'll sit down and we'll talk. But the question for you this morning as we wrap up this book is, what is God telling you to do today? Not what is he telling your spouse to do, not what is he telling the person sitting next to you to do. What is God asking you to do today? What's the next step that he's asking you to take in your spiritual journey? And will you be obedient to what he's asking you to do? Let me pray for us. Father, where we are, where we're deaf in our life, God, we, and we are so deaf to you, so often we're deaf to your spirit. 
We're deaf to the truths we find in your word. In those places where we're deaf, God, would you help us to hear? God, in the places in our lives where we're blind currently, God, would you help us to see? Would you give us vision that we haven't had before? Would you awaken our hearts, awaken our eyes so that we can see spiritual things and color? God, in the places in our lives, the places where we're currently disobedient to your word, to your spirit, in those places, God, would you, would you begin to work? Would you begin to untangle those things in our hearts? And would you help us to begin to obey you, begin to walk with you, God? Father, we pray all of this in the name of the Savior, the name of our Redeemer, in the name of the restorer of our hearts, the restorer of our souls, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, will you stand with me?